I'm Stephen James, and welcome to Creatively Speaking, an hour-long podcast where I sit down with artists, musicians, communicators, and all types of creatives in between. My inaugural guest on Creatively Speaking is none other than friend, actress, writer, and Simpsons aficionado, Stephanie Sotilli. Over the years, I've had the pleasure of working with Stephanie in radio, comedy, and wrestling, as well as seeing her perform classic Shakespeare. Here's our conversation. All right, I'm sitting down here with good friend, actress, writer, comedy aficionado, Stephanie Sotilli here on Creatively Speaking. Hey, what's going on? <laughs> aficionado. Aficionado. Oh, it's so much, sounds so much fancier than most of the comedy I've done has been in a dark basement <laughs> in, in New York dark- City. Well, I mean, so in some places you need to pay uh, extra for that. So you're saying you, you worked mostly in the city, but you yes. were born in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Yes, I keep that <laughs> very close to my chest. How did you how did you escape there? How did uh, you escape and how did you wind up moving up here? Very, very narrowly. Um, <laughs> narrow escape. Narrow okay, escape. Good. It's Florida. Like it's an <laughs> it's narrowly that you live every day when you're down there. No, Um I'm from an area that's not, it's not the South because when people think of Florida now, they think of, ah, it's gators and people on meth and Skittles. It's not, that's not where I'm from. Well, that's everywhere now. (laughs) Just add, just change gators for raccoons here or skunks, but the meth and the Skittles, it's still there. But that's not where I'm from. Where I'm from is is the South. And they say that the farther North you go in Florida, the more Southern you get. And that's where I'm from is the very tip of Florida, like the Southeast part is just full of New York Jewish transplants, retirees, or Cubans. And my mom was all of those. (laughs) So that's how you found your way coming back up this way? It's like in my blood, yeah. And she like, she actually did, in a way, brainwash me to keep saying, get out of Florida, don't stay here, don't stay here. Um, You have to leave here, (laughs) like, please, please please leave because I couldn't escape. Do something better Um, with yourself. Because she was born and raised, born in Brooklyn, raised in Manhattan, she's a New Yorker. So it's like in my blood, she's like, you gotta get out of here, you have to leave here. It's a hell, it's a hellscape. Um, So she kept telling me about a school that was in Long Island, which was Hofstra University, and they're actually well known for their drama program. So I was like, okay, that makes sense. Which you got a BA in theater from Hofstra. Yes, yes. And I didn't really apply anywhere else because I was like, it's, I mean, that's the only place I heard of. Sure, why not? I got in. I'm like, all right, my job's done. It was really easy to get in. <laughs> like, there was no problems. Um, and that's, that's how I escaped was, was through but while, lots of school loans. But while you're down there, before you go to college and move up here, when did the acting bug bite you? How did it start oh. for you? When did you realize you weren't normal? Oh, I mean, forever. Um, <laughs> I always liked, I always liked doing like, I guess like imitating things that I saw. Um, the the most well known thing my parents would bug me about is from my cousin Vinny, where she uh, I know that whole movie backwards and forwards like it's a classic, yeah, of course. Sideways. Am I allowed to swear? I don't know. Why yeah, I should yeah. Just ask just that. Do it. Okay, because every it's, time it's me. <laughs> I know. I'm just saying. Every time, I just want to say, like, I know that fucking movie backwards and forwards. Because this, this I'm, anything, I'm not a lady. We'll edit in a wolf job. And if a you what? Get, if you get that reference out there, folks, you're at the right podcast. A wolf job? It's an old Game Grumps episode where they would just put a wolf jerking off a guy <laughs> as a picture because it was a, it was a thing. <laughs> and I know you're a big Game Grumps fan yes. like myself. Thanks so, to you. Yeah. You showed us. You showed my circle uh, what Game Grumps is. Um the fuck was I saying? Right, right, right. Okay. So 
I was like imitating that specifically. I think that's probably where it started. Is I saw that movie so many goddamn times, and I loved Marissa Tomei and loved imitating that whole movie, like the whole courtroom scene. I know, I'm not gonna do it now, but I know it. I could do she, that. She, I could do, do that. I don't want to. If you see her on the streets, she'll no, do it. No, I will it. do you it. Just, you just tell her. I will absolutely go, do, do it. Go, do the scene. But throughout my childhood, like, Stephanie, do do my cousin Vinny, even though it was not appropriate for a seven-year-old. Oh, but, no. Um, that is probably where it started, and I didn't really accept it until I was maybe 11 or 12. So maybe it was the whole thing of, like, puberty kicking in, and you're trying to, like like have your brain connect with the rest of your body yeah and your, just your like personality oh it's connecting it. like i understand what i'm supposed to be doing because that's kind of how it felt i do remember there was a really weird summer where it did feel like i was having a midlife crisis at like 11 at 11 <laughs> because Jeez. i was depressed it was very strange summer i was just sad and agitated and scared and i couldn't understand why and i think that that was why because once i figured out that's what i wanted to do i'm like oh i love this this is what i want to do all the time i was a little bit more okay sad and agitated definitely describes a lot of comedians so it's <laughs> natural that you uh you would gravitate yeah. towards comedy um now what was your first acting i, I don't want to say gig but what was your first yeah. what was your first role mm. was it in high school were you in the theater department in high um school? related to the the first question what i realized this is this is very stupid but when i was in sixth grade we read that awful novel the giver <clears throat> and it's not good it's an allusion to jesus it's horrible isn't everything um, <laughs> So is Logan's Run. If you watch the movie, it's a reference to the, the Bible. Yeah, Narnia, they just made him a, 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 a friggin' lion or no, something, the Jesus lion. But like a man and a woman going to like a mountain and having an old guy is there with wooden tablets. Like that happens in Logan's Run. I'm like, this is the Bible. Got it. Uh, okay. This is a bit, why is it always about Jesus? It's always about it's Jesus. Always, it's always about Jesus. That's the follow-up podcast. That's, that's <laughs> the title of my autobiography. So we read this horrible book. And we had to like separate into groups and perform um, scenes from it, like condense the chapters as a project and perform them. And I played the little sister in it. And sixth grade was fucking terrible. It was the one of the worst grades throughout my whole childhood. It was sixth grade. Like, why? It, it was just in general, everything. Just in general. Like, I hated everybody. They hated me. I didn't want to be there. I remember you're not supposed to care that much about your appearance as a kid, but I really didn't care. I wore like clothes that didn't fit me because it, I just did not want to go. Yeah. I did not want to fucking go to that place. It was it a was, new school, too. Did you do like yeah. K, K through five and yep. then six, seven, eight? Okay. Yeah. And it was a horrible school. Like, it wasn't in a great area. We didn't have a lot of uh, funds. Like, it, the teachers didn't really give a shit. Like, it was just a horrible, horrible middle school. And sixth grade was the, was the fucking worst. So what I noticed is when we were doing this silly little project and I'm pretending to be this character, it was the only thing that made sense. I'm like, I'm, this is the only time that I've been happy is doing this stupid in-class performance. And I'm like, oh, now it makes sense. Okay, I understand now. Like, this is what, this is all I need to do. Um, and I got older and I understood even more is that much like most comedians, because I hate myself so much, <laughs> I need to be other people. And that's also, it's also like a John Candy quote, like a lot of actors feel like they want to become other, you know, they want to escape into other people. I'm yeah, I believe that. I'm I believe that's on your website actually. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, which... yeah. I'm paraphrasing, but it's the same exact sentiment. Um, it comes from a pretty fucked up sad place. Like, no, that is how much I hate myself. I would just need to escape 
and become other people. If I if I had like a five percent better childhood, I probably wouldn't be acting. Now, when did you <laughs> when did you connect that that was the reason why? Because this whole podcast is about creatively creative people finding their way, yeah. and and figuring out what they love to do and how they do it. When did you realize that that was the thing? <laughs> Perhaps the self loathing <laughs> and wanting to be other people is where you were like. Oh, okay. I need to be other people in order to survive what I'm going. Yeah, through. I would. Um, probably through college, probably like midway through college. I I didn't. I I was not like the rest of the people in my major. Um, when people hear theater kids, you have an idea in your head of what they are. Yeah. Um, and a lot of it is negative, and a lot of it is not true. They're stereotypes, etc. They're stereotypes about all groups, but it's mostly like super energetic. To the, sometimes to the point of annoyance, like attention-seeking, self-involved, and I didn't gravit. I, I didn't connect with any of that. I, I don't. I picture Jesse Spano on that episode of uh, uh, of Saved by the Bell, where she takes all the the uppers. <laughs> the no I'm so excited. <laughs> that's what I, that's what I picture when you talk about theater people. A yeah, like there is a, a little bit of that, and that's and I just didn't. I didn't connect to any of them. I didn't like a lot of them. I just didn't, it, I didn't fit in with them. And which was also very depressing. It's like, well, no, this is supposed to be my group of people and I don't fit in here at all. I, uh, I'm not like the rest of them. I was much more dark. Obviously in my brain, I was much more like, yeah, self-loathing and just. Coming from a different place than it seemed like, that they were. Sadistic and sarcastic. I, I just did not. They, they, we did not. We clash, like on a lot of things. It just didn't didn't make sense. A lot of them had way more self confidence than I did. Because um, I like to say, like a lot of people who have semi normal childhoods start off. You start off at zero. You know, and as you grow up, like your confidence grows 10, 20. It, it because grows. you're getting that pat on the back from your nice family atmosphere. Sure, of course. People are like, oh, yeah, I'm here to support what you do. You know, Was your supportive family supportive? Uh, oh, I'll go back to that. Uh, half and half. Um. All right. <laughs> this is where we get sad, Half and folks. half. Um, but yeah, so people start out at like a base level. I like to say I started out like negative 60, so I'm still <laughs> reaching up. Negative 60, okay. Like Conservative I still estimate. get up. I'm still trying to reach to zero and it's getting there. So now, like I like to say I'm at like a 1020. I'm still like just- A negative 1020 or just 1020 Regular above? 1020. Okay, that's I pretty good from negative like, 60. I feel like I've reached above zero. There you go. Um, but that's why I didn't really connect to them. Um, I connected more with- Stand-ups. I connected. A lot of my influences are mostly comedic actors or stand-ups. A lot of my influences for writing or for performing or even just any of my references that I know or understand or or could share with other people comes from comedy. It didn't come from theater uh, acting. Like it didn't come a lot. Now it's more, but at the time it didn't come from that. It didn't come from musicals. Like I knew shit about musicals. I knew <laughs> fucking nothing. I didn't watch one fucking musical till I was 20. I, wow. I didn't know a damn thing about it. I didn't know any of these songs. Like people were bugging me about Wicked and Rent and like, I no idea. I think I watched Rent once and it was because I was trying to impress a girl. Uh, was she impressed? And she was impressed yes. that I sat through the whole thing and didn't fall asleep. And it, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna say it worked out. It worked out well for that me. That was the movie, right? When they read, yes, yeah, 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 okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's, yeah, but um, that's mostly what that was what the problem was um 
and it, it it's really disheartening because you don't realize like you you grow up and you watch like on TV all these different stories of like oh you can have like a mentor in high school or in college somebody that can pluck you out of a crowd and, and be like I believe in you I see something special in you yeah. that didn't fucking happen that with me once yeah. like it happened no times zero times so you're basically on your own trying to figure out this thing yeah. and this thing you love where you didn't feel you belonged with those people. You felt you belonged yeah. in that job or in that creative space, yeah. but the people around you felt foreign or you felt alien. Yeah, like I didn't, I definitely didn't belong with the rest of them, which sucked. It's like, no, I care about it just as much as, as anyone else, um, but it just was not fitting. Like my personality or whatever was wrong with me just did not like click with anyone else. Do you feel that, that is also a, a gift for you being able to have that burden also you've turned it into some great comedy the yeah. place that you're coming from how do you balance between going completely mad with who you are <laughs> and the fact that it stokes the fire of your creativity um it's it's helpful in that the longer that i continue to do it you do find people that are similar to you um there's still not many there's again it's it's I don't know if it's just the nature of people that get into this. They just kind of gravitate toward the same types of people because they might have the same personality traits. Um, so you just hang out with who is like you, um, which is why a lot of times, like most people that I hang out with are stand-ups or comedy writers. And evil people and people who just hate themselves yeah. mostly. Yeah, I, I need people that are damaged around me. I absolutely do. It it to me it's like if 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 you're not a certain level of damaged, I feel like you haven't either lived in, enough, like had enough experiences or you're being untruthful on some level. Yeah, you're being insincere. Yes. You're not relatable. Yeah. Bright and shiny is never something that appealed to me either. If I see somebody who's bright and shiny, either I want to break them. <laughs> yeah. Or I, I try and find how can I relate myself to this person? And they yeah. definitely are more difficult to, uh, to yeah. relate to. How do you balance being in a field where gigs could be few and far between and the crushing weight of responsibilities and <laughs> quote unquote being normal? How do you find the gig work to be? Because it it's a, a very, at least for me, it yeah. can be a very disappointing thing after and after uh, you know, one after the other, you're just banging your head against the wall. Yeah. When did you become okay with that? When did you realize that that was something that you could withstand? Yeah. Um, well, they, they really drill it into you. In, in college, we were lucky enough, one of our professors, um, rest in peace, he's dead now, but one of our professors, um, one of our very first drama professors we had freshman year, he said, if you are to act and not to be on the production end, uh, ninety percent, ninety-seven percent of your time will be auditioning. Three percent will be doing the actual thing that you are trained to do. Um, so we drilled it into our heads that that's mostly what you're going to be doing. It's mostly trying to convince people you're good enough to do the thing that you're trained to do or that you love. And again, I, I don't know if it's it, it depends on the personality traits. I don't know if if because I see so little of myself that the rejection never really bothered me. Um, because you felt it was expected? Yeah, I think on some level um, is that just go into it without any expectations. And as long as I go into it knowing I did the best I could, then there's there, it's out of my control. Then I, it doesn't really bother me if they didn't want me. Because again, I understand that the nature of the beast, it's mostly auditioning. 
Like if you're mostly auditioning, that's mostly your job to do that until someone, until you're a good fit. And sometimes also it can disconnect for some actors if uh, if they they might not see that it might not have anything to do with you. It has nothing to do with whether you're good enough or not. Just might not be what they're looking for at yeah. that moment. Because I've also been on the other side of the table um, where I've been casting people. And yeah, sometimes in your head you just have someone who maybe has a different look or has a different energy or it's just someone who might be, um, you know, like like you said, more, I don't know, for this role I see somebody who's, you know, more sarcastic or, or more despondent or whatever it might be. And someone might be very, very good, but just doesn't match the vision that I have in my head. It has nothing to do with them at all. Yeah. And it does help if you're on the other side of the table and experience that at least once. Um, so that you know when you audition, you're like, yeah, I know. You know, As long as I do my work on my end, then you can't be upset. Because then it has nothing to do with you. There's variables you don't understand and you're never going to know why. And it might, it, it, it might not matter. It has nothing to do with you. Um, again, as long as you do what you're supposed to, you could, there's absolutely auditions where I'm like, I was fucking terrible. I did not do my job. I wasn't concentrating and I commit. I didn't study it enough. There's absolutely times where like I failed on my end. And if I didn't hear from them, I'm like, no, that was on me. That's totally cool. And it's the opposite too, where I thought I was fucking terrible. And they're like, yeah, no, that was great. Come back. Like, Wait, what? Okay. Sure. Why not? (laughs) Um, so that that helps. Like again, as long as as long as I know that I'm doing everything I can, that stuff doesn't necessarily bother me. And it never never really did. I've had actress friends that got get really upset if they don't get a call back or, or don't hear. And to me it's like I, you know this is part of the job. Part of the like, job, yeah. How do you not understand that? It is like it would be similar to a wrestler complaining if he's sore after a match. That's just a byproduct like, of the business. That's just yes. how it is. Yeah. How are you upset at that? That's <laughs> a natural thing. That's part of why we got into this. Like it, That never made any sense to me. Um, and you were able to learn that through this professor who drilled it into your brain as you were being trained in theater. When did you make the transition more into improv and comedy? Because if I'm not yeah. mistaken, you trained as well uh, with the uh, Upright Citizens Brigade yes. as well. So when did that happen? Was that during college or post-college? How did that introduction, yeah. how did you get in there? That was definitely during college. I remember very, very clear like epiphany-esque you know to pick a more less pretentious word um when I was 20 years old and I'm like oh that's more so what I want to do um I love the dramatic stuff um it's very fulfilling and it's difficult in a really wonderful way but I do really love my comedic roles um it's also challenging in a different way and I love also writing sketches and performing them I love pushing audiences in that way to laugh at things that they might not want to. Um, And I remember very, very, very uh, clearly when I was 20, like telling a friend of mine, maybe that's why I don't fit with the rest of you is because I like sketch comedy a whole lot. I like writing it. I like crafting that. I like figuring out the heightening and the, the beats of a sketch. Like I like that so much better. And it made me feel so much better as a person. I'm like, that's probably why I don't connect with all you weirdos. <laughs> is like, I'm trying to go in this I'm whole a other direction. Weirdo, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like if there if there was a possibility of there being a sketch comedy major, I would probably have done a lot better with those people because they they would have the same influences I did. 
Well, what are some of your influences now that you mention it? Yes. Where did it start where, you know, as a kid, were you super into comedy oh, or yeah. super into acting or, or, or yeah. movies? Like, what are some of your favorite movies, sure. be it what you like or what influenced you? Yeah, sure. I watched so much stand-up. So fucking much. More than I probably should have. When I was like nine or ten is when I just, and I don't know what clicked. I have no idea why. Um, but I do remember at like nine or ten, uh, Comedy Central, um, when they actually were showing comedy, showed stand-up specials all the time. All day, yeah. All different types. Comedy Central Presents, Premium Blend, Thompson Square, Pulp Comics, all this stuff. Um, and so did HBO, like late at night would show old George Carlin specials. Um, that's where I saw Eddie Izzard's oh, okay. special. And so when I was 10, it just, for some reason, something like ignited. I'm like, I just want to watch everything. And I watched everybody. Um, again, people that I should not have been watching. I saw Jim Norton for the first time when I was 12. That's not good. No, <laughs> I was 12 years old and he was doing uh, his joke about um, an escort service told him a woman was like $5,000 and, and he was like, that's too expensive. And he said, well, do I cut to, get to cut her head off and keep it when and I'm finished? And show my landlord, huh? <laughs> I believe that was the Yellow Discipline uh, tour. Possibly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mistaken. This yeah. was from, uh, he was on Premium Blend doing that joke. Wow. And I was 12 and I'm like, that's awesome. It's so <laughs> dark and horrifying and he's saying that on TV. I'm like, that's my brain. I was like, I connect with you. It's like, I get it. I, you're, it's like you're speaking just to me. Yes, yeah, but I would watch him or, or Robert Kelly, Louis C.K., I know, Redacted, um, Stephen Lynch, like all of the people that were would be, most audiences might turn away from them. And I'm like, no, 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 I love all of this. You're turning towards Louis, it because it Louis fit Black, you. Black, Eddie Izzard, like just everybody under the sun I watch, even, even people that probably like we don't, like watch now a lot like Darren Carter I remember like I don't think he's great now he does it's mostly impressions Yeah. but when I was 12 I was like that shit's hilarious he's doing a Bill Clinton impression I love it guys who normally <laughs> normally get forgotten outside of the comic world yeah. like guys like Bill Hicks who don't Bill get Hicks, don't yeah. get remembered as much as they should like I discovered him when I was 14 wow yeah Um. so how are you how are you not a blithering uh, alcoholic sitting in a corner right oh now? no yeah I'm shot I, I think multiple people have said to me like because I have, I didn't have an alcohol or drug problem uh, ever, or as like a teenager or in college. Like how? How? Yeah. How did you? How? Like how did you not get it? I'm like I don't know. It's just it not just something. It's just not something. I also like I like being I don't know because I'm some kind of an asshole. I like being like rebellious. If everyone else is doing something, I won't. So if there is that trope of like high school kids getting drunk I'm like well I'm not gonna do, do it that. screw you I don't need that stuff like that's kind of like that's all it was is me just wanting to be contrary and like I don't want to drink so I'm not going yeah. to <laughs> that's really it so which of those folks were influenced directly to you on say your your writing or is there a style that you tend to gravitate towards yeah or or people who you hold higher than others yeah um well, as you already know, there uh, of my tattoo that's on my leg, which is the Union Jack, mm -hmm. because a lot of my my favorite influences that are most close to my heart is from the UK. Um, it's it's it started. I mean, embarrassingly enough, it did start with me watching a lot of Whose Line Is It Anyway. Okay, there's um, nothing embarrassing about that. Why why would that but, be embarrassing? I mean, it's short form improv, you know. <laughs> Can oh, be so you're looking down on it, like short. I'm form, not in the business, so for you, it's like oh, not those guys. Short form can be a bit cheesy okay. when you watch it, depending on who does it. Um, um, and because through UCB, I was in long form, which mostly tells like longer stories and such, and and it's it's a little bit more deeper. Mm -hmm. Whereas short form is mostly games and. 
uh, kind of like quick in and out jokes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it can sometimes be seen as like a cheesier route. For, for improv or a cheesier form of entertainment. But I watch that, again, same with stand-up, I watch that constantly, like from 11 to, to now. Like, I still have it. Like, I have DVDs of it. Um, just because, I mean, that's mostly for nostalgic purposes. Like, oh, I remember this when I was younger. But I watch that for hours. So I know some of the episodes, like, by heart. Like, <laughs> and I shouldn't. They're random improv games. But... Um, so a lot of them were British comedians. Um, Stephen Fry was on there once. Um, my favorite person, one of my favorite people in the whole world, which is Tony Slattery, um, who a lot of people here don't know. Um, in England, they know him, and he doesn't garner like a lot of respect because he was, you know, he's an improv guy, and he yeah. he had. A Do lot you of feel it's like it's looked down upon? Improv kind of. as as like oh yeah no, a bastard absolutely. child of comedy yes no absolutely <laughs> again it can sometimes be cheesy it's, it's it's an amazing skill though it's it's absolutely an, a necessary skill to have and I have the utmost respect for of people who do it well when you can think on your feet like that and also have it make sense or have it connect or heighten properly it that's an amazing skill to have um yeah but but Tony Slattery is one of my favorite people in the whole world again because when I saw him around when I was 12 or 13 and he always gravitated toward the darker or toward the sexual innuendos like anything where it was a little bit more envelope pushing that's where he would go toward as much as he could in the structure of an oh, improv yeah. game and so I discovered him and that made me discover a whole lot of other people Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie and Emma Thompson um, one of my favorite movies is Peter's Friends um, which was written by Rita Rudner who's an American stand-up comedian she wrote that with her British husband and it's my cornerstone. I think it should be shown to everyone to see. I'm, I'm, I'm hyping this movie up, I know. <laughs> but it's, it should be shown as a really amazing example of just a solid uh, ensemble comedy. Everyone else has their own individual personalities and how they, they work with each other. And they tell, and everyone has their own individual story to tell and how they connect. And you can get into the acting terms of low status, high status of like different characters who have like their, their, you know, their fall downs and then they get back up. Like it, it's, it's a good balance. And it's, I, I saw that at such a young age, it's set such a high bar for me where that movie to me is really, really solid as, as an ensemble comedy. Um, so a lot of times when I, I, I always think of that when I try to write things, I want to make it as solid as that. And, uh, you know, that all movie was also made by a lot of people who went to uh, Cambridge University. They're part of a sketch group called the Cambridge Footlights, which a lot of famous names, everyone would know that. Uh, like I said, uh, Hugh Laurie, Stephen Fry, Tony Slattery, Emma Thompson was there. Rowan Atkinson also was in there. Um, a more recent uh, well-known name, John Oliver, was in the Hammercats. Or Hammercats, goodness. Hammercats. That's a whole nother school. Um, we're any in the relation, Cambridge Footlights. Any relation to the Thundercats? No. Oh, okay. Hammercats is NYU's sketch group in ah, New York. gotcha. Okay. <laughs> um, who also had a lot of funny people go there. Um, but if, any, if anyone would find the Cambridge Footlights seller tapes, um, these were filmed sketches they made for the Edinburgh Festival um, in 81, 82. And uh, they, if you watch it again, they're solid sketches, and they still, to me, hold up. And it's amazing to me because they were in college when they wrote that. Wow! It is, 
an amazing inspiration to me. Again, every every time I think about like, if I want to show somebody what you can strive for, I show them that. That is where I start is the Cambridge Footlights. To me, you know, there's obviously a lot of other amazing sketch groups. Um, they're Kids in the Hall, obviously, the other most famous one. Which is, which, of, yeah, of a, course. a huge sure. love of mine. Right, and that's, and that's mostly a lot of people's influences. I personally, I have a lot of respect for them, and I watched a few of them. I didn't grow up watching them, which is, which is also shocking, and it also insul- insults everybody that's in comedy. It's like, you don't watch Kids in the Hall. Well, I mean, I get it, because, you know, you would think because it's North American, it's right there, it's easier at, you wouldn't go across the pond to find... Yeah. Yeah, I watched a lot of, of I watched a lot of obscure British shit that like is our, mostly what influenced me, and and um, a lot of times it's because it. And again, maybe this doesn't go across the board, but from what I've seen, a lot of times for British comedy, particularly, they take their time. They don't treat the audience like they're stupid. They let them hang in there until you figure out what the punchline is or what they're trying to tell you, which I respect wholeheartedly, and I. I, I do that when I approach something. When I want to write something, I don't just want to make it loud or dumb or like gross or blue f- just for the sake of it, just to it keep the to audience's attention. Absolutely. And that's what they do is uh, if you, you know, that's why there it is that joke of like British stuff is always slower and subdued. Yeah, because they don't want to treat their audience like they're stupid. Um, and there's obviously sketches that don't do that. There's sketch groups that don't do that. Little Britain is more of the boisterous, you know, little, loud, yeah, like yeah. like that. But I don't want to say the Benny Hill type thing, but a little sh- bit more exactly. energy. Oh, yes. yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. not everything. Yeah. It, people yelling at me. No, obviously there's... <laughs> people yelling at Yeah, me. or like Mr. Bean is all physical comedy. No, I, I understand not, that. Yeah. Um, but the stuff that I gravitate toward and the stuff that I respect more so, um, like the foot likes, like, uh, like um, Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie had their own comedy team and their own, you know... Um, that's the stuff that I I get the most influence from is the stuff where build your reality and d- don't take advantage of it. Take your time with it. Let the audience come along with you. If they don't want to, frankly, fuck them. Like, yeah, someone is coming along with you. <laughs> yeah. Build your narrative yes. step by step. So what about sitcoms for, for you? It's a little bit different. You know, it's a totally different animal, yes. I mean. Um, were there any that you gravitated towards? As a child and as an or someone as an actress and as a writer and as a comedian that you would draw inspiration from. Yeah. Sitcom um, wise. A lot of my a lot of my favorite shows I I started watching more so as an adult because I watched a lot of from what I'm thinking of is mostly um, animated shows and movies. Uh, The Critic is one of them. Again, another show that like everyone's a cricket. Don't. That to me is such a solid, solid show, even though it is a cartoon. Um, but when I got older, is more so when I I, I got into um, sitcoms or other live action shows that were funny. News Radio was one of them. Close to my heart. Um, my writing partner showed me that when I was twenty one. Wow. Um, so it's pretty late when I found out about that, but again, a very solid show, and it's under the same premise, I think, where they they take their time and they build out everybody's characters properly. Nobody's nobody's like a caricature they they really appreciated every single individual character and how they interacted and told all their stories such a talented cast too yeah yes. and and dave every, uh, every, dave foley yep. being from kids in the, kids hall. In the hall yeah i yeah. should probably watch more kids in the hall 
Um, my, one of my favorite ones, which is a which is a British show, which again I discovered when I was an adult, which was Spaced. Okay. Um, which I've heard you mention that a few times. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's from Edgar Wright. A lot of people know now for the for Shaun of the Dead, Hot okay. Fuzz, The World's End, that the Cornetto trilogy. Um, again, it if I am ever if if I'm trying to teach someone. What should I direct you toward? It's absolutely anything that Edgar Wright's done with Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. Um, Spaced also was there. Was written by. Um, it was written by Simon Pegg and Jessica Hines. Um, at the time, was Stevenson. Uh, so that one to me is is again the same thing, where it's it, and it wasn't a long lived sitcom, but it was so absolutely hilarious and so so solid and everyone was was so necessary like there was no wasted time i think in that show and there's no wasted people um also you know as a woman what i loved is that she was uh jessica hines was one of the lead writers which i didn't really i realized i didn't really see a lot um because i think you know um, from the time where that show, when that show was on the air, I didn't really see that a lot. So I, I appreciate that. That, yeah, she's one of the top names on here. That's awesome. You know? It like, gave you something to strive for. Or yeah. at least, I don't want to say a role model, but someone that you can be like, oh, well, you know, I can see myself in this yeah. person. But so, And I also, I'm not a, like, I'm not a big stickler about that. Like, yeah. you know, it's great to support women, of course. Um, but I, I, I will take my influences from men or women. It doesn't really matter to me. Um, if they're mostly men, okay, whatever. They're mostly men, you know. By influential. Yeah, like it, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter to me. Um, if if there is mostly like, if there's men characters I gravitate toward, I'm looking underneath it. Like it doesn't matter what their gender is. I look yeah. at what's underneath it. Um, but it was just a little extra added bonus. I'm like, yeah, there we go. There's a woman head writer in there. Like my, she was one of the creators. Um, cause when you think about that, you, you do just associate Edgar Wright cause he was the director. Um, but she was a huge component of that show. Um, so a lot of, a lot of his stuff, uh, his films, especially cause what, what they mostly did, um, and why that show would not work today and why the American remake was a total fucking failure is because it was a British show that was making fun of American movie making uh, tropes. Um, so a lot of they just became that parody of it. They were parodying, yeah, they were parodying filmmaking tropes in America. Okay. Um, so a lot of like how it was shot, that's what they w- would use. Um, so that's kind of how it worked, and that's why the American when they tried, they made like in one American pilot of it, and it was awful. It was so awful. <laughs> Like, a lot of times when they try to, you know, again, that's like the Humor joke. Humor doesn't translate. Well, that's the joke of it is a lot of times when Americans try to remake British sitcoms and fuck do we do it a lot. <laughs> a lot of times it doesn't work. So what are some o- of the Office ones? notwithstanding, Office did pretty well. That, yeah, that's but the they one made that, that they made that their own. Like, I've seen, I've seen both a bunch of times. And what I look at it as, the British Office mostly focused on the boss and their version of Jim and Pam and, and their version of Dwight. And... They also had a lot less time. British sitcoms are super short. There's six episodes a season usually and two to three seasons. That's it. And They're that's super their short. Um, the American Office, obviously, 24 episodes a season, however many seasons we can you squeeze, know, out, squeeze of out of this. So they had time to explore the other characters. So that's why I don't compare. Because to me, they're two entirely different entities just because they focus on different things. And, and they had different, different. time. Yeah. yeah, they had like a different time frame to work in. Um, 
yeah, so those are mostly a lot. Yeah, for the most part, a lot of my influences uh, are just British British writers and actors because they do take their time, and they really like playing some you know some examples, uh, notwithstanding. But they do play to the reality of things. Um, my my direction artistically it's gonna sound so pretentious you're this whole show i mean this whole thing the so creative, pretentious. when creative people start talking <laughs> about creative things and the things that they're passionate my about, process is well that's not one of the questions i made sure not to write that down <laughs> i made sure not to put well, what's my your process? process is so difficult i'm sure at some point i'll do it like i even understand it's so ethereal <laughs> like yes so I you can't don't bathe in it. hibiscus before you start writing right no okay. <laughs> usually get high <laughs> <laughs> it does it does help to do that because it clears your head or me and my writing partner harry will like we will improvise like just start fucking around with each other and then we'll get to an idea and okay we can write that down and then actually structure it into something workable something that's happened hit, so yeah. many times it's also why improv is it's an amazing skill. It is sometimes a strange thing to watch, understandably, but it is an amazing skill to have, and it's absolutely imperative that if you have that skill, to use it for sketch writing, because it will always help. It will always help to take the reality you're trying to create and like, all right, let's just mess around and see where it goes. And you will normally land on something that's workable and can be heightened properly. In my limited experience with improving and, and quote unquote acting yeah. with your partner, it's just like that. We just kind of have like yeah. an idea or a structure and then we just kind of throw shit at the wall yeah. and see what fits. And yeah. a lot of times, I mean, Harry's been good with me kind of leading me that way. And you yourself recently wrote a sketch that we did for, and we'll get into this a little bit later, <laughs> Capital Wrestling, yeah. where it was a totally different thing where it was scripted and I'd never worked off a script before. And at first it was a little bit daunting because <laughs> I have the memory of a freaking ant. So just being able to try and do that. So you taught me something as well in that regard, Aww, being okay. able to you know, okay, you have to be able to hit that end line so somebody else knows when to frickin' speak. Oh, yeah. Um, and not looking stupid while doing it. <laughs> it. It's it's a lot harder than people think. You have to, yeah, you have to not be afraid to look stupid. Well, I look stupid <laughs> constantly, and it's one of the things that Harry tells me all the time. You, you look terrible. You to not be afraid look to look stupid. stupid. Yeah. It's the one time where I'm not afraid to, like, I don't give a fuck. I, don't, I will say anything, do it, doesn't matter. If I'm performing, that's where, that's I, where I don't care. That's where um, because that is obviously, that's always a misconception for, it's not a misconception, it's true for some, but for actors where it's like, oh, you just want attention. And as I explained, <laughs> not for me. Yeah. Um, it's like, no, I hate, do you understand? Like, I hate myself. I need to escape into other people. So I'm going to live there for a little bit. Like, that's mostly what it is. Um, so in real life, I don't do that. I don't like, I don't like being the center of attention. I really don't. Um, so so when um if, if I'm performing it's if it's on stage or on on film that's mostly when it's like okay that's the appropriate time you can pay attention to me yeah. if I'm performing something sure let's go all the attention on me because I know what I'm doing you know if, if if I've prepared properly like I'll feel confident in it that's where like that's where I'm okay that's where all the all the confidence comes from is like in that <laughs> of all of the creative endeavors that you've done thus far be it acting sketch writing managing and capital wrestling which yeah. we'll get to in a little bit <laughs> radio which we've you know yes. done together oh, which has been the most that. challenging and which has been the most rewarding or difficult for you oh my gosh um 
The most difficult probably is managing for capital because it is something out of my comfort zone. It does take elements of what I've already done, but it's not entirely the same. So obviously there are elements of acting in it. There are elements of improv, but it's in a completely different environment. And I have to channel those skills that I've done for so, so many years and try to make them fit into the mold of a wrestling manager. So that's probably the most challenging because there's aspects of being a manager that I'm still super uncomfortable with. I'm still, even though I've had the skill, I've done, I, I did improv for long form improv for seven, eight years. It's a hell of a long time. But still, it's just if different somebody, rules. Yeah, but if someone tells me tomorrow, like if someone just told me last minute at a Capitol taping, you have to do like a two minute promo like today, like we just told you today, I'd freak the fuck out. Because it's, it's yes, I've done improv, but in my head, it still is, t- it's still going to take time for it to translate into that area. Um, that's definitely been the most challenging. Um, and it's still an ongoing challenge. There's still aspects of being a manager I definitely don't have down. So we're talking, and obviously we're talking about Portia Vaughn. Yes. The hashtag <laughs> feminist. Yes. That's feminist activist. That's feminist activist copywritten. Just got to make um, sure that that gets put out there. <laughs> I don't want to get shanked from across Copy the table. Copywritten, patent pending. <laughs> so, um, so tell us how that character <clears throat> came about when you were approached to be involved in Capital. Yes. When you were first approached in it, were you reluctant? Because as you were talking about, it's a little bit different. Yeah. You felt a little uncomfortable at first. Yeah. Um, yes and no. Um, I, M- Matt Ryan, who uh, you know created the Great Capital with Marcus Dowling, um, they both wanted me involved because, again, they knew of my background. And if you break it down, yes, a manager is a character. And since I have writing experience, yes, a manager has promos. They can write them down because it's not it's – not, um, traditional to you know what I do which is write out every every word possible at least I don't think so that's not what I heard um you know you have bullet points and then you just kind of find your way yeah yeah, you just kind of off the cuff a little bit but you've got your skeleton of what you're supposed to say um but because I've had again on paper I had those skills so they said all right you can you can do this we want you part of this because we trust with your skill set and how many years you've been doing it if we want you to play a character we trust that you can do it um, again, the only hesitation was just, yeah, this isn't an area, though, that I am not used to. This is not a normal performing arena. This is, it's, it's a wrestling show with, like, people who can hear every word of, uh, that I'm saying when I'm at the, like, right outside the ring. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just, it, it's very different. And that was the only part of me that, was, that w- I was scared is I, the first live promo I did, no, I was scared out of my fucking mind. Um, I wrote out everything word for word. I memorized it like it was a monologue. And um, then, and then there was the audio issue that was happening as well. No one heard to, me. <laughs> like, well, we, I, we were also in a cathedral where the sound <laughs> just so all that hard work and all that nervousness and all yep. that getting it out it, it mounted to nothing because <laughs> of that that problem. Yeah, which had the, to be frustrating. The only thing that we fixed is that I did this almost the same promo. I recorded it for video so we released it like in another fashion so i'm like all right at least it's out there like whatever i wrote at least is out there saw the light of death yeah Yeah. because i really i work hard on what she says um and i try to make it clever i try to throw in little easter eggs if people like can discover them i try to 
you know, oh, I don't forget the don't it. forget the blog. Uh, penises yes. are microaggressions. Penis, her blog, penises are microaggressions, oh, yeah. is also a product of my straight of my brain. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm still really proud of that title. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> I can't believe that's not a thing that already didn't exist from a hardcore from like su- fem- radical feminist. Thing, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, they 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 approached me. They wanted me to do a character, and I think I had this idea to do to to make fun of the radical feminist people like just essentially to take the silliest ideas that they have and blow it up to 200 like just to take all the obnoxious parts all the worst parts really of feminism and blow it up like somebody who is that ignorant um and have that just be a person that exists like that was the whole point dial it up to 10 yeah yeah like i tell people it's lena dunham times 100 oh god and then they understand then they, then they get it yeah it's not like it's not like i'm saying like no women should stay in the kitchen like that's not how i am as a person it's just no it's taking the worst parts of it and turning the dial all the way up so you hate her and it's it's great because you already have that ability from your years of experience to be able to drop into a character and be like all right for this period of time while I'm performing I am this person yeah. I'm I'm not you know you know what I mean cuz I've known people friends of ours and you know who have gone you know I really like Steph but I fucking hate oh, Portia Oh yeah everybody like, tells me I don't that. like this person Everyone and says to that. be able to have that I you know that. <laughs> exactly that's <laughs> like one of the so best much. compliments you could possibly get Every single fucking person that really loves me and cares about me hates or Porsche. even likes me <laughs> as an acquaintance. It's like, I fucking hate her. Like, I hate you so much. I'm like, good. All right, I'm doing my job. And now you're you're managing the Capital Wrestling Women's Champion. Yes, the answer so th- to your prayers. Ariella and Nick. Yeah, so yeah. obviously that shows a certain level of confidence from the company to be able to put you with yeah. the top woman. Uh, that has to be be rewarding. And you had the chance in, I believe it was December of last year, oh, no. to be able to get physical in the ring. What was that like? Was that ever a worry when you first started getting into Capital Wrestling about the physical aspect no. of it? No. <laughs> I thought I never had to do that ever. No, absolutely not. Um, that was so that was so nerve-wracking. That was that was really horrifying. Um because we were, you know, what I did physically, like it was me and 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 Matthew Ryan Shapiro, and it was just for me to like beat the shit out of him. Yeah. And it's 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 stuff that really like they were the easiest of wrestling moves, like banging his head into the turnbuckle and then like hitting him with a kendo stick or hitting him with a book. Like it's stuff that I could do. It's not it's not it's not hard wrestling moves because I also I'm not trained. I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't want to hurt myself, and I also don't want to like. Show I don't want it to look as if I'm disrespecting wrestlers. Which and by and getting in there and pretending, oh yeah, no, I'm totally a wrestler too. No, 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 no. The wrestling like, business is predicated on respect. Yeah, and which I do absolutely for all of the athletes that are in there. So I also didn't want it to come off like that at all. I made sure, like, no, 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 let's do moves that are super easy and it's Believable. super obvious that I am not a wrestler. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it's not. It was just two managers like like just be, like I wouldn't say two together, managers yeah. doing anything. I would say it was yeah. you molly whopping. Oh yeah, absolutely. I hit him with a kendo. Stick. Hit him with a kendo stick, and we got to hear him scream. That had to be wonderful. That's a <laughs> nice when you can when you can have a nice day at the office yes. where you could beat somebody up. That's got to be pretty nice. Yeah. Uh, we're almost out of time here. I want to make sure I get these uh, plugs in. Uh, Steph sure. Steph Sotilli on Twitter, correct, and yes. on Instagram. A great follow. I, I, you know, I'm going to do this at the end of every show. It's tailored towards each individual person, but I got a couple of questions. It's like lightning round. Oh no! Uh, one person, dead or alive, that you could collaborate with. Dead or alive. Dead or alive. 
that you could collaborate with mm. in any endeavor. I guess Emma Thompson. Emma Thompson? Yeah. Okay. If you could join any classic comedy sitcom or sketch show as a member, which <laughs> would it be? <laughs> uh, spaced. Spaced? Okay. Spaced, of course. <laughs> All right. Your dream role in a dramatic sense. Oh. Lady Macbeth. Lady Macbeth. Yeah. And finally, if you could have only one cupcake for the rest of your life, <laughs> what would it be? Funfetti with uh, coconut filling. Funfetti with coconut <laughs> filling. All right, this has been Creatively Speaking with Stephen James. I was joined by the lovely and talented Steph Sotilli. Make sure you guys follow her on Twitter, Steph Sotilli. That is, I want to make sure I spelled it right, S-O-T-T-I-L-E. Yes. Leave off the last Fs for savings or whatever that, <laughs> that commercial was. Uh, thank you for joining us, and thanks to the El Toro's Podcast Network for hosting us. Uh, we're going to have a bunch of great guests. If there's any guests that you want to see on this show in the future, just tweet me. I have the Twitter machine now, at Grapple Talker on Twitter. So yeah, that's it. Good luck. Good night.